Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. If you don't know me, my name is Amy Jimenez, and I lead women's ministry here at Temple Bible Church. And if I don't know you, I want to know you. So I hope to get to talk to each of you at some point over this semester. But I'm just so glad that you're here. This is so exciting to see this room full. Um, I want to give you just a little heads up. Um, I know that you all know that we are in crazy, crazy COVID times. And um, we have a few, a few measures in place that I want to go over. But the reason that we spread out today is because you can imagine with all of us just getting to know each other for the first time, talking loudly in this room, just... Um, how anxious that made me with the spread of COVID right now. Um, So I've decided for these two weeks, this week and next week at least, we're going to divide out to the rooms around campus and uh, we'll reassess. We may keep it that way. We'll, we'll We'll just play it by ear week by week. Usually we are all in here discussing. As you can see, that gets really loud sometimes. Um... But what's great about it is that we all can be on the same time schedule. So I'm going to ask you um, to do your best to actually, leaders, to give your group a break at 1030 so we can all get to the bathroom and get a drink and get in here so that we can start right at 1045. Um, Usually we're going to start uh, with a, a song of worship at this time. We're going to wait a few weeks before we do that as well. Um, But I'll have a few announcements to share, and I'll introduce our speaker for the day. Today is different. Today is our first day, and I just want to give everybody just a little overview of our schedule and what to expect each week uh, before I get into the teaching lecture. So, COVID accommodations. You saw these, I hope, in an email. Um, We are not requiring masks here at TBC, but I want you to know that masks are an excellent way to prevent spread. And so you are more than welcome, encouraged to wear them. But I want everybody who's not wearing one um, to feel comfortable and okay too. And I want us to to, um, value one another's choices. And so we're going to do our best to just um, to serve one another as we can. Um, I'm going to also ask you if you are feeling ill, any symptom at all, but especially ones that that are associated with COVID. I'm going to ask you to just not come in person that week. Um, this, this teaching time is always going to be on live stream. Your leaders should share the live stream link with you so you can always join in and watch the teaching live. Um, maybe some of your groups would be able to Zoom you into the group time. Many groups have done that in the past, but just asking you if you feel ill, one of the ways we can um, serve one another is to just not come. Also, if you have a, a, a direct primary exposure, so especially anyone in your house that has COVID, um, I'm going to ask you to just to also not come one week. Just give yourself seven to ten days, but that should be covered by just not coming for one week. Just let your leaders know. Leaders, that includes you. That also includes me, so I may have to be gone um, a week, and we'll just, we'll just let the Lord lead us and trust that he's going to take care of us all. But those are the things that we have in place um, for COVID. Uh, Schedule-wise, we are um, offering childcare. Um, All of you who have kids over there are doing a children's program. They're going to be studying um, lessons from the Books of Kings alongside of us. I'm really excited about that. Childcare opens at 9.15. 
But I want to highly emphasize that when we are done at 11.30, I really want you moms to get over there and grab your kids. Um, We might be hanging out for a while, and you're welcome to hang out on campus as long as you like, but I need you to go get those kiddos at 11.30. Um, Our doors are open at 9 every week, so you can come early if you want to fellowship. I mean, one of the greatest things um, is just getting to know people at other tables, even beyond your group. And so that 9 to 9.30 time is a time where we can um, mingle and get to know one another. We aren't going to have food this year, but we, all, we will always have coffee and hot tea and water. Um, feel free to bring a snack. I might have a few little light snacks um, during that time, but feel free to bring, bring your own breakfast in. Come early. Um, but we will start right at 9.30, and my leaders know this. We're going to start discussing whether you are there or not, and <laughs> so that we have a full hour to discuss, 9.30 to 10.30, then that 15-minute break, and we'll start in here at 10.45. When you come in, I want you to take note of the screens. We'll always have rolling announcements going when you walk in, and those are um, things that are coming up in women's ministry that we want you to know about. Um, I don't have time to go through all those announcements with you, so try to, try to make note of those as you come in each morning. And then um, we always have a mission service project that we engage in as a group with every Bible study. And so I want you to note right now on your tables, you have a box. Everybody see that box? Um, You have the name of a local school that you have been assigned, your table has been assigned. And what I want us to do for this month of of September is to just write notes of encouragement to all the local schools in our area. So you're writing um, a note of encouragement to a teacher, you don't know her name, you might want to write to all the teachers. But in, in your box, there are some note cards and envelopes. Everybody's welcome to take one this week. You can take it home with you. You can write a note. When you come back next week, you can drop it in the box. You can add as many notes as you want over the course of this month. And then I'm going to put them all together and, and mail them to each of the schools. So all the schools are covered in, in, the, in Bell County between this study, our Thursday night study, and our widows group. So we're going to encourage all of our local schools. When we get to October and November, I'll give you some, some um, other ways that we're going to serve. But that's, that's our service project. Lastly, um, everybody is wearing a name tag right now, except me. But I want, I want you to value wearing name tags at your table. And so when you leave today, I want you to drop your name tag into that box. It will find its way to you at the beginning of your discussion next week so that you will all have a name tag ready to go for your discussion. I really want to encourage you guys to try to learn each other's names as quickly as possible because one of my biggest thrills is when we are together on Sunday mornings up in the main building when we can call each other by name and say, good morning, Amy. Uh, It just warms my heart to know that we know each other by name, and I think that's a value um, that God has for us as his family. So I want to encourage you to do that. Okay, if you will... um, We are just going to break right now with a time of prayer. So if you will, just stand up just so you can get all the jitters out. (laughs) And let's, let's bow and let's pray together this morning. Oh God, we just rest in you. We praise your name. We glorify your name together. It is so good to be together. We know, God, we've gathered in your name, and so you are here in our midst, and so we want to exalt you. 
to worship you together, to remind ourselves and declare to you that you are a good, good Father, that you're sovereign over all things, that you're holy and righteous and just and merciful and kind and loving, and that you are good. So we're excited, God, that you have brought us together, that you have placed us in groups, that you have spoken to us as we've gotten to know one another this morning. And we trust that you have something to say to us during this time as well. And so we just give you uh, these next 30 minutes, God, and ask you to teach us. I ask you to just move me aside and that you would speak and, and help us to see something new in your word. We just love you and praise you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you just love a sad or tragic story? I'm guessing not very many. We live in a sad and tragic world. And so I'm guessing when you go to pick up a book or you turn on the television, you want to see a happy story, something that makes you feel really good. And I want to try to convince you this morning that sometimes even sad and tragic stories can give us hope. So I'll never forget the first time I saw this play on Broadway. Maybe some of you have seen the movie version with Meryl Streep and Amy Adams. But when I lived in New Jersey, I got together a group of friends, and we went into New York City to see this play. And it was a sad, tragic story, full of doubt, if you can imagine. <laughs> but the play was actually about faith. And I'll never forget the last line of the play. It was so shocking that everyone in the audience just had a collective gasp. And it felt like just we just sat there for maybe five minutes with nobody moving. We were so mesmerized by what we had just seen. And my girlfriends, we were so excited to, to just get to a coffee shop ASAP and talk and talk and talk about all the implications of the story. And I left that conversation so encouraged in my faith. And so we're about to embark on a very difficult journey this semester. We're not going to be reading a happy story that makes us feel good. We're going to be reading about one of the darkest times in Israel's history. And I know you're thinking, seriously, Amy? Now? Why can't we just study something happy? And I want to say for the same reasons that doubt was such a memorable play. We are in dark and challenging times. And God is going to challenge us to wrestle with really hard things as we cling to Jesus. And we're going to talk about these hard things together as a group. And I trust that the conversations we have around our tables are going to be more encouraging, more faith-building than those conversations I had about doubt. I love what Paul reminds us of in Romans 15, 4 through 6, when he says, For whatever was written in the past, and that's First and Second Kings, was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. And so First and Second Kings is part of God's story. And as much as I wish it wasn't, 
This is part of the whole counsel of God. And every part of God's story was written for our instruction so that our hope will rest solely in him. So today, I'm going to take us through an overview of First and Second Kings with this simple outline. We're going to first talk about the big picture. Where does kings fit into the big story of God? Next, we'll talk about some background. What is some of the context of these books? And then finally, the basics. How are we actually going to study these books together this semester? So let's jump right in. Now, I say this every semester, if you've been with me for a while, I always start this way. The Bible is one unified story about God. We like to think that the Bible is all about us, but it's not. We often try to make the Bible like a self-help concordance, where we pick and choose the verses that we want to read on any given day that make us feel good or tell us exactly what we want to hear. But the truth is that God is revealing himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit from beginning to end of his story. And so we started four years ago, four fall semesters ago, with the book of Genesis, and we've been marching through chronologically through the story of God as Father and his chosen but very flawed children, Israel. So I want us to take a look back, and let's see where we are so far in the story. We started in Genesis, where God the Father made a covenant with Abraham to bless the nations of the earth through his family. And even though Abraham would fail to keep his part of the covenant, God promised that he never would. We would need a better Abraham to secure the covenant with his life. Well, Abraham's grandson Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, a nation set apart by God to be light to all the other nations around them. And so in Exodus, we, we learned this, after 400 years of slavery, God led his people out of Egypt through Moses. And Moses gave them the law, a law that would set them apart from everyone else. But we would need a better Moses to actually fulfill that law. Well, then supernaturally, in Joshua, we saw Joshua and that great commander of the army of the Lord lead the people in to conquer Canaan, the promised land. That was the land that he had promised to Abraham and his descendants. But we would need a better Joshua to conquer sin once and for all. Then in Judges, we saw God choose regional men and women like Samson to lead a depraved nation. Oh, they were such a mess, right? For another 400 years. And we would desperately need a better Samson, one willing to give his life as a ransom for many. Then hidden in that dark time, we saw Ruth, a Moabitess, marry a kinsman redeemer from the tribe of Judah named Boaz, and their great-grandson would be King David. But we would need a better Boaz 
a redeemer willing to buy us with his blood. Then last fall in Samuel, God anointed his king, King David, and he made a new covenant with him. But we would need a better David, a king of kings and a lord of lords. And so now we find ourselves in kings. And we pick up right where Samuel left off at the end of David's reign. And Israel is just a mess. But God is going to use some really great men, prophets like Elijah and Elisha, to proclaim his message of truth. They will show us that we need a better Elisha. A prophet who won't just speak the word of the Lord, he will be the word with us. All of the Old Testament is God the Father pointing us to God the Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, in these books, it's so cool because we're going to see all these parallels between Jesus and Elisha. And I'm so excited for you to see this. In these books, Elisha is the one that is the type of Christ. He's a shadow of our Savior who is to come. And so you're going to see these similarities. They're amazing. And you don't need to write them down. They're all in your resource guide on page three. I just want to run through this list really quick because it's just so um, exciting to me. First of all, Elisha and Jesus have similar beginnings. Their name means the exact same thing. God will save. And they both start their ministry at the Jordan River. Remember, last semester in Mark, we saw Jesus baptized there and the Spirit come upon him. Well, both of them are going to do some amazing miracles. Elisha's going to do many miracles that, you will, that will remind you of miracles that Jesus did. They both raise an adult woman's son from the dead. They both feed large numbers of people with a small quantity of food. They both turn small amounts of liquid into an abundance. They both heal lepers. They both make things that should sink float. They both give sight to the blind. Isn't that cool? And then even their deaths have similarities. They're both betrayed for the love of money. And then both of their deaths will bring new life. One of the coolest stories in this book is when Elisha dies and his bones are buried and somebody gets, who dies gets thrown into his grave and he comes back to life when he encounters Elisha's bones. It's pretty cool. So I'm excited for you to see these really cool similarities. But finally, I want you to see how God reveals himself to us as spirit in the book of Kings. This is our big unifying theme this year from Kings this fall to Acts in the spring the Spirit of God. And so throughout the Bible, you will notice that God's Spirit is often associated with water and with fire, two really powerful, all-consuming forces of nature. And we're going to see two really cool stories in Kings. We're going to see a lot more, but these two are really cool. The first one in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, and God sends fire to just come from heaven and consume the sacrifice. Super cool story. And then over in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha is in a battle and he's really stressed and his servant is with him and really anxious. And Elisha says, oh God, would you open his eyes so he could see who's fighting for us? And they look up to the heavens and they see chariots of fire surrounding them. 
So even though this is dark time for Israel, God's spirit is still very, very present. It's going to show up in all kinds of cool ways as we study. And then if you stay with us to the spring, and this is a little plug to hopefully get you to do that, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And so you remember last semester in Mark, when John the Baptist told us that Jesus was going to one day baptize his followers and us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so when we start Acts, right there in the first chapter, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon the apostles in the most amazing way, like tongues of fire coming down from the sky. And he's going to just light them up, and they're going to just, the church is going to spread like crazy. So it's so cool to see these themes from, from God's big story, from Old Testament to New Testament. So I hope you'll, hope you'll join us for that. All right, now we're going to move to our next section, a little bit about the background of kings. Now, this is not the most, usually not the most interesting thing, so I want to hopefully keep your attention here. <laughs> but the book of, of First and Second Kings were originally one book called Kings, and there, there are an historical account of Israel's kings from the end of David's reign to Judah's ba- exile in Babylon. And so they cover about 400 years. Isn't it weird? We, we go in 400-year increments all throughout the Old Testament. These books were written specifically to two tribes of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, right before they go into captivity in Babylon at the very end of the book. And so the authors here are trying to help Judah and Benjamin make sense of why they are going into captivity. So they're really trying to stress that God gives Israel lots of warning, that they continue to sin, And then that there is a consequence to that sin. And it's bad. It's grave. But these same stories you will find, all the stories that we studied last semester in Samuel, almost all the stories we study in Kings are also um, written in the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. But those books are written after Israel's captivity in Babylon. And so those books were written to remind them that God never left them, never abandoned them, that he was always with them. And so you'll read those stories with a little more positive flair. The ones in Kings are really bad. We have a bad tone because God is trying to show them why they are about to go into exile. So I want to give you just a big overview scope. You have this slide in your resource guide. Um, I just want to try to, so you can make sense of what you're reading as you're reading it. The major theme of these books is a divided kingdom. Israel is going to split into two. But we start when they're still unified. We start with this transition from David to Solomon. Next three weeks, we're going to be talking about Solomon. The kingdom is still unified here. And Solomon is a real disturbing leader, to say the least. But he will do something really, really good. He will finish the temple that David started to build. In Jerusalem. And so after Solomon, he's going to pass the torch to his son, Rehoboam, and he's going to um, establish the kingdom of Judah. This is the southern kingdom. This is the kingdom that will always be in the line of David. But it's going to get confusing for you guys because it's always going to be called Judah in the text. The southern kingdom. It's only two little tribes, Judah and Benjamin, but it's always going to be called. Judah, 
And this is where the temple will be, because Jerusalem is the capital, and the temple is the place of worship. And there's going to be a lot said about that in, when we read about the kings in Judah. But then there's a revolt, and this other king, Jeroboam, says, no, don't want to be part of that kingdom anymore. We're going to establish our own kingdom in the north, and it's going to be called Israel. So that's going to be confusing, right? Because everything said about the northern kingdom is going to be called Israel in the books of Kings. And they're going to decide that, you know, it's just too hard to get down there to the temple to worship. And so right off the bat, they're going to build these two giant cows of gold and put them in Bethel and Dan and say, just come to these big cows and worship. And right off the bat, I mean, it's going to be a real mess. But the northern kingdom is going to have all kinds of different high places, and, um, and the southern kingdom will just kind of fall in with them too and create all kinds of other different places to worship other than the temple that they were intended to worship at. So this is going to be a big part of the story. Um, both of these kingdoms are going to have 20 kings. Isn't that nice? A nice round number. Um, <laughs> but all of the kings of Judah are going to be from David's line. The kings up north, oh my goodness, they're a big mess. They're always fighting and killing each other and grabbing for power. And I mean, they might be a king for two months or 10 days sometimes before the next one comes in and kills them and takes over. The northern kingdom's going to be a real, real mess. But both of them end the same way. They both um, are conquered. They both turn against God and his laws. And so the, the northern kingdom is going to be Uh, conquered by Assyria. This is going to be important for you to know. These are just kind of the two big anchor points. They're going to fall to Assyria in 722 BC, and most of them are going to be assimilated into this pagan culture of Assyria. And guess where their capital is? Samaria. And so these are the people that are going to become the Samaritans in Jesus' day that the Jews don't get along with. And then the southern kingdom, they're going to survive for a while. They're going to have about 136 more years to try to get this right. But they're not going to do it. And so in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and destroy them, going to destroy Jerusalem, going to just completely demolish the temple, and is going to take all the healthy Jews from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, like Daniel and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, and he's going to take them into captivity into Babylon for 70 years. So that's kind of a big overview. It's going to be hard to make sense of all this, but I wanted you to see that up front. Well, there's three other themes that I want you to really think about and personally apply as you're reading all these different names and battles and locations and might be getting stressed throughout the semester. I want you to think about these three big themes that really anchor these books for us. The first is worship. Throughout God's story, he desperately desires our wholehearted worship and devotion. And Solomon's going to build this great temple, and some of the kings are really going to have a good talk, a big talk about worshiping God with their whole heart. But everyone in all of our stories are going to be tempted with idolatry, with worshiping other things, other people, other gods. And so I want to ask you this morning, who or what do you worship? 
Is God in the highest place in your mind and in your heart? Are your, are your affections primarily pointed toward him? I want to ask you to let the word convict you here. Who do you worship? Well, the second big theme is the word. The law of Moses, especially Deuteronomy, is going to get quoted quite a bit in the books of Kings. But so many of the kings that talk about these books will really fail to live by these principles. And they're going to fail to lead the people to follow God's law. They're always going to be looking for loopholes. And so some of the prophets are going to be really great in helping to restore the word, and some of the kings are going to read it out loud. But, you know, reading and revering the word is never enough if it doesn't change the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that we have that they didn't. And so I want to challenge you this semester. Will you let God's word and God's spirit work in you to change your heart, to convict you, to lay bare your thoughts and your motives before the Lord? Will you let him allow these words to change you? And then finally, our last theme is weakness. We're going to see this every single week. Every human leader and every human being, in fact, all of us sitting in this room, have sinful limitations. And Jeremiah prophesied during the time of kings, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And every single one of Israel's kings is going to fail. You're going to be tempted to look for the good ones and the bad ones. And when you find a good one, you're going to just be so excited, you're going to try to hold on to it. But I want you to know, none of them are good. They're all bad. Even the ones that say that they're good never did what God told them in removing all of the high places and the idols in the land. They just couldn't do it. And so even the ones that look good need Jesus, just like you and I do. All of the kings help us to see that none of those kings would do. We needed God's king, Jesus, a servant king. And so I'm going to ask you to look into your own heart this semester and identify your weaknesses and your sin as you study these books. And I want to ask you, are you clinging to Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation, for your righteousness? I hope that those, those big themes will help you as you're in the details, especially, especially this first week. All right, let's, let's end by talking about the basics. How are we going to do this? This is a big task that we have before us. First of all, this is a 12-week overview of the books of First and Second Kings. So if you haven't looked yet, that's 47 chapters of the Bible in 12 weeks. That's 22 chapters in 1 Kings and 25 chapters in 2 Kings. And I know you're thinking, no way, we cannot do it. But we can, because we're going to do this as an overview. I don't want you to get super stressed when you're trying to learn all these names and they all sound the same and you can't pronounce any of them. I don't want you to get stressed. I want you to just be diligent to read the text, and we're going to try to make sense of it in a big overview kind of a way. So the first thing, 
It's just reading. Now, I know you're thinking, that's a lot to read, and it is. Um, what's been working for me, I just wanted to share with you, is that I've been listening to the books of Kings every day over the summer. I have my phone, read to me my Bible app in my car when I'm coming to work, and when I go home, I have 20 minutes coming, 20 minutes going. I can get through it very quickly, and you can too. You can just listen to it. That's a really good strategy, but sometimes we aren't, you know, can't process that way and we need to read it. I want you to just take it in bits, little bit-sized pieces. Like this week, you have four chapters. Try to read just one chapter a day. Don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't wait until, you know, the morning of and try to read it all and do all your questions. It just doesn't work that way. But I have given you a little helper, I hope, a little help on page 11 of your resource guide. Um, if you would like to use this, this is just an option. But I like to do this when I, when I read a, a big bit of text, before I ever answer my homework questions, I like to just get a little journal and jot down some questions for myself for each chapter. And this, on page 11, I gave you some of these questions. And it's just who, what, when, where, why, and how. What's going on? Can I just get a little, draw myself a little diagram or something so I just understand what's, what's being said? And that might be helpful to you to just get started with your homework each week before you dive into the homework questions. If you do nothing else, guys, I really want you to read the text. The book that I've given you is just a tool. What I really want you to value is the Word itself. And if that tool can help you to get into the Word, great. If, if, if you can't, just read the Word. Read it, listen to it, come and talk about it, and you will be blessed. The Word of God never returns void or empty. So the next thing I want you to do is think about it. I want you to think about what you've read and that's where your homework book comes in. You have questions each week to help you think about these books, these stories. And I know you're going to laugh when you read the introduction and it says, you should be able to do these questions in about one to two hours. <laughs> right? I'm sure some of you have already experienced that. You're like, no way. That's what the authors say. You know that that's not right. You know it's going to take a little bit longer. There's usually about 20 questions in your homework. And they're not divided by days. And so if you want to do that, you know, you can just write that on your, on your notebook uh, or on your homework book. You know, I want to do these two questions on Monday, these five questions on Tuesday, whatever would help you to break it up. But I think that's a helpful way to get through the questions. Um, you will notice at the end of the chapter, you have a little section called For the Group. And so I have told my leaders... They don't have to use those questions, but some of them may be using those questions for your discussion time. It tells you like five or six questions that would, be, that would make for a good discussion. You may want to make sure you've done those. That might be helpful. Now, they may not ask those, but you may want to make sure that you have done those, those particular questions. And then I want to give you a heads up. This is a 12-week study, and you notice there's only eight lessons um, in the book. When we get to lesson five and lesson six, we're going to take our time. We're going to break those lessons into two weeks each. So we'll take two weeks for lesson five, and we'll take two weeks for lesson six. And that's because those two lessons are about Elijah and Elisha. Those are the really, those are the heart 
of these books. And so I want us to just slow down. And so in your resource guide, you'll see on pages 12 to 22, I gave you extra questions, like you really want them. But, <laughs> but I think they're helpful because I gave you some really kind of simple questions. They're, they're more like observation questions, just who and what and when and where are these things happening? Because these are very narrative sections. They're telling some really cool stories, probably stories that you remember from Sunday school if you grew up going to Sunday school. And so the, those extra questions might help you because the questions in the book are going to be more application-based and kind of bigger, bigger picture kinds of questions. And so I hope that will be helpful for you. We will tell you that so many times before we get to lesson five. I just wanted to, to let you know about that. Well, finally, um, I want you to expect change as we study these books together. The discussion group is so important to help you apply what you have read. I say this also every year. A very first importance of, of this study is your time in the Word each week. I expect God to teach you something individually. And we all might get something different. That's okay. That's, God's Word is alive and active, and it's able to meet you right where you are. And I value that more than anything else. That's number one. But, but number two, I want us to get together and discuss what God has taught us that week in our group. That's why we discuss before I give you a lecture. I don't want you to discuss what God has taught me or any of the other leaders who are going to stand up here and teach. I want you to discuss what God has taught you. And as you discuss that with one another, you're going to find some amazing things. I hope that at every table you have some people at a different age and stage of life than you. Maybe a, a completely different perspective and as you talk about how these verses influence everyone's life in different ways, it's amazing how God gives us a more robust understanding of his word and challenges us to change, not only individually, but together. Like he might challenge your group to do something or to change a basic way that you've been thinking about something for a long time. It's amazing what he can do. Spirit is at work among us, and it's exciting. So I want you to value your time and your group. And then the last thing is when, when myself or somebody else gets up and gives you um, a teaching lecture. I want that to be excellent, and we're going to do our best to make it excellent, but we're, we're going to speak for about 30 minutes, sometimes over five or six chapters of the, of the text. There's no way we're going to cover it all. We're not trying to cover it all. We're going to be sharing with you what God has taught us that particular week, um, but I want that to be of last importance. So I, 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 want, I don't want to encourage you not to come. I want you to come. But if you have to miss something, miss the lecture, don't miss your discussion group. Come and be a part of your discussion group. All the lectures will be um, live streamed as they're happening, but as soon as we're done, it goes to a video. And on that live stream account, you can watch it anytime. So you'll always have access to the teaching videos. All right, in conclusion... We started by talking about the play Doubt this morning. And kings may cause you to question some things about God, to wrestle with your own doubt. But just like I did with my friends when we saw this play, I expect that discussing these books are going to encourage you immensely in your faith. We started with that verse in Romans, chapter 15, 
where Paul was reminding us that the things that were written in the past were written to encourage us. But he goes on in that same chapter, in verses 8 and 9, to tell us what all that was written in the Old Testament is pointing us to. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And that's the Jews that we're going to study this semester in First and Second Kings. Christ became a servant to them to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, that's you and me, everybody sitting in this room, in order that we might glorify God for his mercy. So everything that we read about Israel informs us about who Jesus is, a king from the line of Judah, from the household of David, confirming the promises to all the patriarchs so that we, the Gentiles, could receive this amazing good news of the gospel and be grafted into the kingdom of God. There are many times this semester where you might get discouraged and you might say, why do I need to know about all of these awful kings? And I hope that the answer will be so that you might glorify God for his mercy to us in Jesus Christ. So as a benediction, um, would you stand with me? And I'll read how Paul concludes chapter 15 of Romans, and then we'll pray together. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for this power that you promise us, your Holy Spirit, to abide in us and in us together as your people. And we're just begging you, Father, to fill us, fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit as we open your word, as we pray and seek to hear from you this week. Would you teach us? Would you instruct us? Would you train us in righteousness? Would you give us courage to come back and to share what we've learned this week in our study with our groups? And God, more than anything, would you be honored and glorified in our lives? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.